Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiologist, and I'm a licensed nutritionist, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. And this is Phil Stevens. I'm a coach. I run Strength Guild. I'm also a lifter in powerlifting, Highland Games, stuff like that. And I've lost 15 pounds since my meet like three weeks ago. Oh. I'm feeling human. Oh. In a good nice. way. <laughs> This is Dr. Mike Nelson. I'm owner of Extreme Human Performance. I teach online now for Rocky Mountain University and creator of FlexDiet.com. Cool. And then uh, my name is Ryan Soper. I'm a former gym owner, and I currently work under Mark Bell for Super Training Gym, doing their media and running uh, events. Sounds Sweet. good. Nice. Welcome. All right. Um, Everyone, we're going to do just a little bit of news. We got a little science news and a little bit of um, world of lifting kinds of news. And then we'll get to Ryan's origin story. Uh, Let me share this because it's something that just came across my desk yesterday. Strength and muscle sport news. I think it's confirming a lot of what we already knew. And uh, listeners know that I one of the things that I research in the lab is coffee in different forms, but this is a huge meta-analysis. So the undertaking, the magnitude of the scope of it is what jumped to me, you know, to my mind. But uh, it's entitled Coffee Consumption and Health, an Umbrella Review of Meta-Analyses uh, on Multiple Health Outcomes. It's by Poole, P-O-O-L-E, and colleagues. Um, a lot of listeners realize that a meta-analysis is a – it's usually some type of statistical attempt to look at, you know, a, it, to be a study of other studies. But this even kicks it up a notch from that. And so, I mean, I have a lot of titles in some of the work that I do, like pilot work, you know, or preliminary findings. This is umbrella. So this is an enormous – this is a review of meta-analyses, if that makes sense to anybody. Um, here's the idea. It says uh, the purpose was to evaluate – the existing evidence for associations between coffee consumption and multiple health outcomes. Uh, the design was an umbrella review across meta-analyses. So again, if meta-analyses are studies of other studies, this is even a collection of those. Uh, so uh, both observational and intervention studies. So if you're not familiar, right, if you're just observing in an epidemiological way, it's not really causal, but you can still get some good uh, indications about how variables affect each other and how related they are. But this is also of sort of the, the clinical trials, if you will. It says results. The umbrella review identified 201 meta-analyses of both observational research and 67 unique health outcomes. Um, there was also 17 meta-analyses that were specifically uh, intervention studies. Uh, coffee was more often associated with benefits than harm for a range of health outcomes. Here are some of them. Risk reduction took place in the three to four cups a day range, especially when they compared it to no coffee intake. So this seems to echo something that I mentioned a few weeks ago about 
the muscle loss of aging and how it's really sort of a four cups a day dose that seems to be effective. Um, but some of these might be interesting to our, our women listeners, especially. But it says, let's see, uh, all cause mortality. So all reasons for just general death, uh, the relative risk was 0.83. So if 1.0 is standard risk, so you're, you're like 83%, if you will, of the a tri- a usual risk of dying from all causes. For cardiovascular disease, it, the, the relative risk was 0.81. So again, below 1.00 is better, right? So the lower risk. So maybe 81% of a traditional cardiac risk. Um, High versus low coffee consumption was associated with 18% lower risk of incident cancer. Interesting. Uh, Consumption was also associated with lower risk of several specific cancers and neurological conditions, metabolic conditions, and liver conditions so looking pretty good so far Uh, there was one exception pregnancy uh, where high versus low to no intake of coffee was associated with a higher odds ratio uh, for low birth weight Uh, and it was 1.31 so again you might think maybe a 31 percent increased risk of low uh, birth weight uh, in a pregnant woman Uh, There was also an association between coffee drinking and risk of fracture in women, but not in men. So interesting. The only thing I can come up with the fracture thing is nothing inherent to coffee, but that a lot of women don't consume enough vitamin D and calcium. And if you're chugging coffee all the time, you're not getting an equivalent amount of dairy. That might be one thing that I'm speculating here. It says, conclusion, coffee consumption seems generally safe within usual levels of intake with summary estimates indicating largest risk reduction for various health outcomes at three to four cups per day. So there you go. Massive review. Just literally like human knowledge base, you know, database spanning review of um, what coffee does for your health. Very cool. Uh Okay, yeah, like I said, some of that I think we knew individually, like reduced diabetes risk when you come to metabolic stuff or the neurological stuff. I've actually had students, in fact, um, Mike, you met Grant, the biochemistry student, now a yeah. med student. He, um, he was looking at reduction in um, amyloid plaques in Alzheimer's. You know, there's a lot of stuff with neurological disease because of the dopaminergic effects of coffee, reducing Parkinson's. So it's one of those things we have to be careful. We have to be strong when we look at this evidence and still stay skeptical because this is sort of like what the gen pop wants to hear with the chocolate. You know, oh, chocolate's good for you. Eat as much chocolate as you want. And, (laughs) you know, and and I'm sort of like that with coffee because it gets my ass out of bed every morning uh, and and helps me lift, especially as I get older. But, um, yeah, it's good to know. I mean, this is a very neutral spanning review. But, um. All right, so Phil, uh, before we hit record, obviously you were talking about some <laughs> potentially scandalous stuff in the lifting world. Yeah, um, you know, basically they came out with how many people have been have failed drug tests in the U.S. Uh, with USAW this year at the at the club, and uh, it's this big witch hunt, of course, but because of what's going on with USAW, so that's what the article was about. But then there was a quote that even in the U.S which is of the cleanest countries, 19 people have been have failed drug tests <clears throat> at the club level this year. And the interesting thing that to me was 17 of those 19 come from CrossFit clubs. 
So, uh. I'm, not, I'm not a math major, but that seems high. Uh, so, <laughs> um, no, it's just interesting. I mean, I posted about that, and Sarah Robles, the Olympian, came on, and she was like, well, the good thing is, is they're getting caught at the club level. Right now, what would be, I mean, yeah. they're looking for any reason to kick weightlifting out. And the, the last thing they need is somebody making it to the international level and then getting caught. Catching them at the club level is a good thing. That's what's supposed to be happening. Um, okay, I see. Make it to the international level and then get caught. But I don't know. I mean, there's some interesting conversations popped up over that. And it's like, it almost seems what weightlifting needs is what powerlifting has. Because we all know performance and drugs are going to happen. And there's no outlet in weightlifting like there is in powerlifting for those who are. Yeah. You know, your choice is USAW. And uh, and it's highly tested. There is no place for, hey, I'm going to go compete and see what I can do and use. So it almost seems like we need another federation where it's like, okay, anything goes. You know, like there is in powerlifting. But uh, Because the argument is if you're going to use, well, com- in powerlifting, if you're going to use, well, compete against in a fed that allows it. There is no Fed that allows it, you know, so. Right, um, right. They're one, you know, people have one choice to go actually compete in a competition. Besides some, I'm sure there's some backyard meets or something like that that are unsanctioned, but those are few and far between. And it's, uh, the other part that popped out to me was there's there's still the crowd that thinks that CrossFitters don't do that. They're all paleo and this and that. And it's like, you know, they got their, they got their you know, bulletproof coffee, their grass-fed beef, their kale, and their D-ball. You know, so. <laughs> Ouch! Yeah, the new breakfast. I just it, as sort of a spectator in that realm, right? Watching some of the high end games. I mean, I've seen some of those competitors. It's, the women really jumped out at me, right? And I've said this on air before, but and I'm not speaking across all of them, but I can't say I'm super surprised just from the little bit that I've seen. I mean, you see some of these girls with, you know, they've got like five six percent body fat they have traps that look like apples you know up around their neck and and i'm like oh okay um i didn't realize that you know crossfit was operating at that level necessarily but so i could see what you mean about a lot of people might think it's um maybe naively you know that it's just all about these special diets and healthy behaviors or extreme discipline or something but anyway i think there's an issue phil real quickly on coming out with sort of a new Olympic weightlifting, I guess, league, for lack of a better thing. But it's like, how do you say that, oh, we're going to allow sort of things that are illegal, you know, because I know like in powerlifting, it's just kind of unspoken and people kind of know where to go. And if it's a tested meat, it's advertised as a tested meat. And if it's not, it's just, hey, here's a meat. Right. (laughs) Open. You can come out and be like the all drug Olympic fed. Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) To say we're untested, you know, right? And that's exactly, the like, correct way to say it. Yeah, the excuse that powerlifting does and be like it's too expensive. You know, yeah. that's all. The, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> so. mm-hmm. a lot of academics will say stuff like, you know, um, uh, bodybuilding and powerlifting are the only sports that sanction drug use by having these open competitions, right? And I mean, yeah. now I yeah. I've competed in both natural and open competitions. When I go into open competitions. Frankly, if you want to rise up to, in my opinion, to sort of regional level and and beyond national and world class, um, it's naive to think that, you know, there's not drug use in those open competitions. So I would go in there sort of trying to think, can I what can I pit my education or everything that I know 
against people who might use, you know, performance-enhancing meds. And if somebody comes in a foot shorter than me with skin like pink cellophane in open competition, you know, and he's openly talking about thyroid and GH use and stuff, I'm like, well, you look great, man. I don't know. You're making a decision I didn't today. But okay, you know, uh, but yeah. I, it's funny how they – I think it's it's a little hypocritical. Again, when the academics will – they'll look down – on these competitions, these open competitions that you'll see like in bodybuilding. And it's like, well, to me, it's a little more honest in that you're, you're saying it's open competition, you know? So everything goes when you get on stage, be aware of that, you know, and you're going to be competing with some big boys and that kind of thing. But, uh, I mean, honestly, even at the open competition level, it's not exactly fair. Because it's it's how far you're willing to take it. There's the guy that I'll take sure. 500 grams. That's that's as far as he allows him to take it. And there's the other dude taking four grams. Oh, for you sure. Know? Oh, yeah. The only way it'd be fair is if it was like, okay, you can only take this. You know. Yeah. Uh, and that still wouldn't happen. Of course, you know. Yeah. People would push the envelope like they do in. I mean, if they're pushing the envelope in tested beds, why would they not in a <laughs> an open? But yeah. Yeah. So. They. If not uh, the sheer dose, yeah, that'd be funny. Like you can only take one gram of testosterone esters yeah. a week or exactly. only so many milligrams of Dianabol or Winstrol a day. <laughs> I mean, what? <laughs> but there'd be yeah. designer, you know, the designer meds that, you know, oh, you're, it's not on the list. There's always that kind of issue like with the, you know, the control act and all that. Like, well, this one's not on the list, so we'll sell it as a, as a pre-hormone or pre-steroid. Yeah. And yeah. You're right. Yeah, there'd be escalation any way you do it. Which is why I understand that some journalists will say, listen, why don't we just make everything open across all sports? And I don't know. It's just an interesting philosophical argument. I'm not saying necessarily we should do that. but um. Yeah, it seems like kind of the difference there would be uh, like, you know, weightlifting is in the Olympics. And so to make it to the top level, you do have to be drug free, whereas powerlifting is not really in the Olympics. So uh, that's why they do have the open division versus the drug tested division. I mean, they don't they don't have powerlifting in the uh, in the Olympics at all. Oh right. I mean, yeah. through the eighties and nineties, the Weeders, Ben and Joe Weeder, were constantly trying to get bodybuilding in the Olympics, and everybody I think knew pretty much that wasn't gonna that wasn't gonna work. You know, because you essentially have guys on stage that were not much bigger than the people in the audience. You know, and yeah. I don't know, you you lose that level of extreme uh, entertainment, I guess. You know, in that way, but. Um, did they even try to do testing John, one year, I think? It kind of backfired on them. Oh, they did. I mean, Lee Haney, yeah. everybody. Mike Mike Christian was the only one that looked good. I can't remember what year that was. but uh, uh, And I think he had just tapered right or used masking agents or something. <laughs> everybody else was like 30 pounds <laughs> smaller and soft. <laughs> you know, it was it was rough. Yeah. yeah I think uh, John North uh, had a uh, non-tested weightlifting uh, federation that he created, but I don't think it – I think they're maybe hosting like one or two competitions a year, so it's not like very available to the, you know, the average weightlifter that is essentially using steroids. Wow. Yeah, yeah, I know he has, he hosted like a competition last year. I think it was down in L.A. Is what I understand, but um, I think it'd be cool because it, I think a lot of people would like to see people like Stephanie Cohen uh, oh, competing in weightlifting. I've never seen her compete in like a USAW meet, and yeah, I've seen her clean like two two sixty five. Uh, which is 100, 120 kilos. Uh, I think it'd be it'd be cool to see somebody like her compete in, in weightlifting. Yeah, no, I. I mean, if you want to see, I mean, the fact is, no matter what, people don't want to see the same lifts 
the same power yeah. for decades. And at some point, I mean, the weightlifting's been around long enough. I mean, nobody has matched Terry Anko's clean and jerk from when before drug testing got banned. You know, it's still there. There's you know, so, and that's even with people getting popped. You know, so I mean, at some point they're going to get bored. Like, oh, okay, they hit two hundred kilo again. Great, again. You know? Yeah, again. They want to see and again, <laughs> right? So, yeah, you know, I had a, a, a philosophy of sport class once, and they were, uh, I think it was the prof. He actually pointed out. Now, the truth is, in an open competition, I mean, the very word "open" sort of precludes cheating. I mean, because you're you, you know, the the usual descriptor is, oh, cheater. You know, he's a user, therefore a cheater, or she's a user, therefore a cheater. It's like, but if there's no rule against it, that's not cheating. Right, you might yeah. not like that stance, but it's not to me. The most despicable stuff is when you see people who are using, and then they and they enter a natural competition. I'm like, you're just a coward, man. Like, what are you doing? You know, get your get your butt in an open competition if you want to do that. Because what there's no honor in that kind of victory. Yeah, you know. Anyway, um, yeah. all right, uh, Ryan. I just have one last thing, real quick. This just popped up, and if I don't mention it today, I probably never will on air. So I wanted to offer this uh the mercola website he, uh a lot of us are familiar with he, he's sort of a very um non-traditional physician um big online presence but you might want to check out there's an, a piece here and i'm just going to mention this i'm not going to follow up and do a deep dive bad news for fast eaters well a lot of us have purposely tried to eat rapidly to get more food in before we we get full but it says eating your food too fast may harm your body in ways you never considered. Research shows it may up your odds of developing heart disease or diabetes or even tip the scales in the wrong direction. Now, if he means with body fatness, I'd like to see that evidence. Um, but then he says there are ways to turn down your fast eating habit, you know, turn it around, uh, especially if you approach food mindfully. So I don't know. I think that just I wanted to bring that up. You might want to check it out at, on the Mercola uh, website. And again, there's a there's a pretty strong commercial element to to what he does, but I'd be curious because he is bright and he does often at least share some evidence. Although sometimes the evidence he shares is not what I would consider peer reviewed stuff. But that did pop into you know into my mind that oh holy god you know for 40 years I've been eating as fast as I could so I could you know get as many calories as possible. So anyway, okay. Uh, so Ryan, uh, you're up, my man. Um, let's just turn our attention to maybe why you do what you do. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so you want me to just kind of start with um, from the beginning, kind of my up upbringing to yeah, from birth up to now. So how we do it with everybody okay. is kind of how you got into fitness in general or exercising or strength training. Yeah, sure. So, well, I guess uh, it started from, like, my childhood. I, w I had a very uh, active childhood. I did a lot of sports growing up in high school and whatnot. So, uh, I did track and field, um, did, like, the long jump and the triple jump. You know, I played basketball. I tried football for a year, did some soccer or baseball. So, that obviously kind of carried over into my adulthood. In college, I was trying to kind of figure out uh, what I was going to major in. Uh, so I started off at Sac State, and I was still kind of figuring it out. I had an undeclared major, and then I eventually transferred up to Chico State. 
And uh, at Chico, I decided that I was going to do uh, exercise physiology. So that's why I basically declared my, my major as. Um, and uh, when I was up there, I was, I was still kind of doing like recreational sports and stuff. And I, uh, I was like basically involved in like a basketball league and I had a pretty bad knee injury. And it was, um, it was something that prevented me from playing basketball the way that I could before. And I think I was like very kind of frustrated, uh, with that injury. And so, uh, kind of stumbled onto lifting weights more, uh, seriously. And that was like something that I could do, um, that where I could like really push my body and it didn't aggravate my, my knee. Uh, a lot of like the lateral movements and stuff in basketball were some of the, the causes of things that would kind of irritate my knee uh, beyond the injury. Um, but I mean, I, I, I was introduced to lifting weights uh, at a younger age, probably about 13 or 14 uh, in basketball uh, for like a summer program. But I never got serious until I was about 22 or so. So, um, you know, when I was uh, at school, I was just trying to like research as much as I can uh, outside of class. Like I was obviously going to class and, and, and trying to do well in school, but I was looking at a lot of the top people kind of in the industry. Um, a couple people come to mind that kind of influenced me were Mike Reinold. Uh, he's like a physical therapist. I think he's, he was like a PT for, I think, the Boston Red Sox at one point, but now he just has like a blog. And then uh, Brett Contreras was, was another guy that kind of uh, influenced me. And I, and I like those two guys specifically because they have kind of a, a research-based approach and I kind of appreciated that um and anyway I just kind of started like lifting weights and and trying to work around my my knee injury <clears throat> so I was uh just kind of started off and I was trying to apply a little bit of my education but kind of just doing a lot of stuff just trial and error and uh eventually I graduated with a degree in exercise physiology and I came back down here to Sacramento and I started off at a just a commercial box gym uh doing personal training and when you start off as like a personal trainer at a box gym, you're starting off with no clientele really. Like the, some of the like sales counters will feed you maybe a, a client here and there, but it's kind of uh, your responsibility to kind of build your, your business. Mm-hmm. So uh, as I was working as a trainer, uh, I was also working at a grocery store to be able to make, uh, make ends meet. So I was working uh, as a meat clerk at a grocery store. Uh, and eventually I, I, I kind of built up my clientele to the point where I could, uh, quit the grocery store, which was, uh, good. I did not, I didn't, wasn't something I particularly enjoyed. I was working in like a refrigerated area. Um, and, uh, anyway, I was just kind of doing like, like more like bodybuilding style workouts and, and, and stuff like that. I had been introduced to powerlifting, but it had never really piqued my interest. And, uh, eventually I had heard about a Phil Stevens seminar. And it was at Hercules CrossFit. And I think it was probably about 2012, maybe like early 2013. So uh, I went with a couple of the trainers uh, from this box gym and uh, went over to Hercules CrossFit. It was a two-day seminar. And uh, met Phil and pretty much changed my perspective on fitness and made me kind of fall in love with the sport of powerlifting. And uh, after that, I, I, I got pretty into to just the, the sport of competitive powerlifting. I, I started competing. I started mm-hmm. kind of getting influenced by my coaching. Uh, and then maybe a year or so after that, I, I started a, a powerlifting, weightlifting kind of hybrid gym. And 
I ran that for about four years, um, and eventually I decided to close it down. It was kind of consuming my life, and it was just a huge time commitment. Um, so I, I closed it down, and I went over to work for uh, Mark Bell in West Sacramento, California. So right now over there I do uh, their media, um, so I'm creating all their YouTube videos for their channel. And uh, I also am helping run uh, some events. So right now they, they have like an event coming up. It's the Super Training Classic. Uh, and that's a meet that they're doing at the Spit Expo. So it's a, like a push-pull meet. And uh, I'm helping run that with uh, Charlie Zamora. So, so I do that. And then I'm also training people kind of on the side around my schedule there. Um, but, yeah, uh, Meeting, meeting Phil uh, definitely changed uh, the trajectory of tra- uh, sorry the trajectory of my life. Uh, you know, he uh, I think just meeting him and he was very passionate about powerlifting and it and it piqued my interest and and then just like seeing him and kind of his story and what happened with uh, you know his car accident and, and his hip and then seeing that he was still able to you know compete in the sport of powerlifting. I think I uh, kind of related to that on a on a personal level just because you know I had my knee injury and whatnot uh, back in early early college, and and I saw that, you know, with his hip, what he could do, and I think he was training to pull, like, an 800-pound deadlift at the time, um, just to see that he was able to compete and still be competitive at, at, at this sport, um, it really piqued my interest, and, and uh, yeah, and so, yeah, I started competing, competing and coaching in uh, the sport of powerlifting, so... Um, yeah, and, and since then, I've, I've gotten to meet uh, some of the coolest people that I've met in my life. Uh, a lot of them are really good friends. You know, obviously, I've, I've gotten to meet uh, Mark Bell, but, you know, other people, too. Like, I've gotten to meet, uh, you know, some big-level weightlifters like Donnie, Donnie Schenkel, um, uh, Kelly Davis, you know, some people that I just were influenced me uh, getting into personal training or, or, or fitness. So, um yeah, and I've, and I've done a little bit of weightlifting as well, um, but I didn't really dive into that too much. I, I did a little bit of coaching with weightlifting, and I got my USAW uh, level one and level two, and I did a couple meets. But uh, I, right now, I'm just kind of focusing on on powerlifting, and you know, I have a meet coming up, uh, and I still coach people in, in powerlifting and stuff. And yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of what I do. And that, and this is me and Ryan were kind of reintroduced to each other again at the. Uh, the, the meet I just did at Record Breakers. He was there with Mark doing filming and things like that. And it was this, the story is why I wanted to bring him on the show. And it was because, uh, it, it's kind of, we'll segue to the topic, but it's kind of, a, you know, paying your dues and going about things in a proactive way. I mean, it's kind of the same way I saw myself come up in this. It was, it was going to meet people, going to seminars, going to this and that, um, and being passionate about what you want to be a part of. I mean, a lot of people sit back and they're, well, I want to do this. I hope it happens. <laughs> you know? And it's the fact you got to get out there and bust your ass and do it and pay your dues. I mean, Ryan started at a box gym. Then he went to seminars, met more people. Okay, now he started his own gym. Now he met more people, learned more things. Now he's working for Mark type of thing. It's uh, you, you don't go from on the shelf to working with Mark. <laughs> you, know? you go out and pay your fucking dues. And that's in <laughs> So... Uh, that's kind of why we're at it. So, so we'll take a break and then we'll get back into that.
Hey listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle, oh, you poor meathead, all that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what. Uh, there is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, there's enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that. And uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single digit royalty on the book, but that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Can't stop feeling. Some of us don't understand how lucky we are to be living in this Hi, listeners. This is Rob Fortress Fortney. I'm here to remind you that as the holiday season approaches and your thoughts turn to giving, we like you to keep Iron Rating in your thoughts. Over the past several years, there have been hundreds of listener comments hoping that Iron Radio stays on the air for years to come. Iron Radio is here for you. But as with any public radio-type format, the show is listener-supported. That's where you come in. For just $4 a month, you become a supporting member, keeping your weekly dose of education, experts, and gym talk flowing. Just go to www.ironradio.org and click on the $4 monthly subscribe button near the bottom of the page. Or... Click the donate button at the right of the page for a one-time donation. You are the Iron Brotherhood and Sisterhood. Of course, not everyone can afford to be a supporting member or a significant one-time donor. But for those of you willing to pitch in $4 per month or $50 just once, we're about to sweeten the deal. Become a supporting member or major donor between now and January, and a limited number of you will receive a gift worth over $20. And we will never forget our existing supporters. Simply email me via ironradio.org and I'll send you a free seminar from Dr. Lowry on how to significantly and realistically boost your testosterone levels. Help your iron brothers and sisters who cannot pitch in but deserve better internet programming in our sports. And happy holidays. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. Toward this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org 
and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. Okay, everybody, we're back. And like I said, we're going to talk about um, just kind of how you make it in the industry, paying your dues, this and that. And I figured Ryan would be a good person to uh, to talk about that with because he's in the midst of it. You know, he's he's newer to it than I am. You know, I've kind of been at it a while, so is Lonnie and Mike. And, uh, you know, Ryan, we ran, like I said, ran into each other again at the meet, and uh, I just thought his story was intriguing. So, um, like myself and like Lonnie, I mean, we all kind of met through – our days at T Nation years ago, and then and that's how I met Mark, and that's how I met Windler, and blah blah blah. And it kind of spools down the road, and then Ryan kind of has a parallel story um, through going to one of my seminars, and then on from there. So I'm being proactive about this stuff, but I mean, mm-hmm. let's talk. About, I don't know what would you say, Ryan? Would be you got somebody in that interested in making it in the fitness industry, specifically the strength side of things. Um. Right. <clears throat> would you say their number one thing they need to do is? I mean, is it school? Is it meet people? Is it, you know, what? Um, I mean, for personal experience, I think that the, the experience is what has helped me the most. Um, but I think the school, it, it all factors in. It, it's all important. But I, I think for the, for the most part, like just for the average person, the thing that is going to help them the most is getting the experience. And I think a part of the reason that's, so important is like going in and doing like some of the the grunt work and, and kind of working your way up is what kind of creates uh, habits. That's when you kind of learn uh, good habits. And, and if you look at people that are, you know, at the top of their their uh, industry, it seems like a lot of them have really, uh, you know, the habits that they developed over over years of of experience or years of work. You know, my boss, for example, he wakes up at four in the morning, every single morning. And, you know, he's got all these, all these different things that he does in his day and it's just routine for him. And, uh, a lot of it is stuff that he has developed over, over years. And, uh, you know, I'm still kind of honing my, honing my craft and, and trying to figure out some of these things and create these habits. But I think that's part of the reason that, you know, going in and putting in the work and, and going to the seminars and stuff like that is so important because, a, you're going to learn a lot of things, but it also helps create good habits that are going to, uh, you know, transcend and, and help you become a, a, a better, better what you do. And I agree 100%. I mean, for me, it would be uh, roughly the same. I mean, it's be figuring out what you want to do, and hopefully if that's something you're passionate about. I mean, like I know Mark is totally passionate about what he does. <coughs> it yeah. leads to, um, if you find something you're passionate about, then it's easy to work at it. Um, but after that, it's like in, in the strength field in general, the education is great. I've done a lot of reading. But then, like you said, it's, it's getting out there, doing the work, and then meeting people. And I think a big mistake people make is, okay, I'm going to go meet Mark, and I'm going to learn everything he has to say, and I'm going to be that. Mm-hmm. And uh, the problem is then you just have this poor carbon copy of that person. <laughs> mm-hmm. And. What I say the best thing people is, yeah, go meet all these people. Go meet Mark. Go meet Stan Efferding. Go meet Ed Cohn. Go meet um, Donnie Shankle. And like you said, look at their habits. Look at their... Find the similarities. Find the pieces you can take and that you're passionate about what they do and then create yourself. 
um, at some point you gotta you become this amalgamation of okay this works for me this doesn't yep this happens for me this doesn't um, and eventually you need to become you if not like I said you're just gonna be a poor carbon copy of somebody else which that doesn't that doesn't pan out very well so I think it's it's definitely important to uh, to learn from uh, as many different people as you can and uh, I don't think any one coach is uh, has the the solutions for everything. And, uh, and I think that's why it's important to learn, you know, especially just from like a coaching standpoint, like one of the things I always try to embody just, just, just from the, just from the sense of being a coach is trying to learn like as many coaching cues as I possibly could. So I think exposing yourself to as many different coaches and people and in, in, in fitness that you can, you learn so many different cues that you can kind of give, give to your clients. And it it gives you a uh, a, a better means of, of correcting things, uh, or more efficient means of correcting you know problems that may arise in your client's technique or, or whatever it may be. So uh, yeah, it's it's definitely important to to learn from a variety of, of different people. Otherwise, yeah, like you said, you're going to become kind of a, a carbon copy of of that person. And uh, I don't think that's that that doesn't create any identity for you. And it definitely doesn't encourage like independent thought whatever you know it's, it's important to expose yourself to, to different ideas here's another one that we kind of have a parallel in, in opposite directions that i thought about so basically you have a degree in exercise science or exercise physiology yeah. and now you work as a media director type type of position so not what your degree was in i have a master's sure. degree in art and now I work primarily as a strength coach. <laughs> um, <laughs> one thing that I find interesting about this field in general, especially strength side and working with businesses like Mark's, like what I do, this and that, is the uh, you you have to be more than there has to be more than one side of your coin. Like you can't just be the uh, I'm good at coaching. Well, that's great. So is he. You know what else do you got for me? So how did you get into the, the, the multimedia stuff, and how important is it, do you think, to be, uh, I guess, multifaceted or not, not really a jack-of-all-trades, but uh, good at many things to get into a business such as this? Uh, well, I mean, to, the, the, the way that I got into media, it, it was just kind of, uh, I think just good timing is, is really what it was. But, I, I mean, I, I did kind of work with some media stuff, uh, obviously owning a gym, you have to be kind of present on social media. And so, you know, just learning how to create, uh, flyers. Um, that's like stuff that I learned over, over the four years of running a gym is, is learning how to create flyers, learning how to create promotional videos, you know, creating YouTube videos. Even if I wasn't doing it super, uh, like as, as much as I'm doing it now, I was doing it a little bit and I always felt like I had like a little bit of an eye for it. And I, you know, had ideas about writing a, a screenplay and, and stuff like that. So, you know, like I said, I, I feel like I had a little bit of an eye for it. And then just, just kind of being able to get some practice with that over, over four years of running a gym um, kind of helped me out with, with that. So, like, when I, you know, when you first go into super training, you know, the first thing they do is they give you a camera and, you know, they throw you into the mix and you basically have to come up with a video and, and edit it and present it to Mark. <clears throat> and, uh it just came pretty, pretty naturally for me. Obviously there's like little things you learn along the way, working with people that have kind of been doing it for a while, but back over the, over the last, you know, four years or whatever, running a gym, it definitely helped. But 
Yeah, I mean, it, it, it certainly helps to have the background in fitness to create videos because especially just like, I, I, you know, I've followed Mark's channel for a while and, you know, just coming from uh, the standpoint of being a fan, uh, you kind of understand what you want to see and what other people may want to see. And so that definitely gives me an advantage when I when I go into create a video, um, you know, for his channel. It, it definitely gives me a little bit of an advantage. So, I've seen strength based companies hire people from the outside of the field for such roles, yeah. and they have no freaking clue. Oh, <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's a neat looking video, but it sucks. You know, it's very edited, yeah. clean, and that. But they, like you said, they don't have that the actual. They don't have the money in the game. They, they're not a fan of the sport. They're not. Uh, they just don't have the knowledge, and it doesn't work out well. Sometimes you give a person that has almost zero skill, but is a huge fan and has an understanding of the sport and what needs to be seen, what wants to be seen, and they can do a better job. So, um, yeah. Well, I think it's important too, like if you're creating an, an educational video specifically, because like. When you're there and you're the media guy, you're kind of cueing uh, Mark on what to say a lot of times. And so, you know, if he's doing like a, like one day he went in and he's doing a, uh, a deadlift and he's doing like a deficit deadlift. And, uh, you know, if you're coming from, as an outsider, you wouldn't have any idea why he's doing, you know, uh, a deficit deadlift and, and why that might, you know, work for some people and why you'd want to implement that into somebody's programming and so just coming from the industry, like I know exactly the questions to ask and, mm-hmm. and uh, the way, the things that, uh, you know, to cue to him to explain to a beginner. And so that, you know, and it definitely puts me at, a, at an advantage for, for creating these, these videos. So it's, it's kind of cool. <clears throat> Let's go back to the gym side of things. So you opened a gym. I'm guessing it was fairly yeah. successful. At least open four years. Let's say somebody yeah. comes to you and says they want to open a gym. What advice would you give them? Um, well, I think the first thing I would ask is, uh, what are you kind of doing to, uh, work towards that? Cause I, I can't even tell you how many people have come to me and said that. And, and you, you own a gym too. So I'm sure that you've had a, a handful of people come to you and, and, and say the same thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I would just try to figure out what, why they want to, why they want to open it. And. You know, I think the biggest thing, if you're, if you want to open a gym, is, is, is your motive for doing it. And, you know, if, if your reason for doing it is just that you enjoy lifting, uh, that's not a good, that's not a good enough reason. <laughs> I mean, you really have a passion for athletes, people. And not only that, you have to be able to, like, there's many times where, you know, I had to put my own fitness kind of on the back burner for the sake of the business or for the sake of helping, you know, a member of my gym. And uh, I think that if, if, if you're willing to do that, then you might be in it for the right reason. But if, if you just are wanting to open a gym because you enjoy lifting weights, I don't think that's a good enough reason in itself. Yeah. <clears throat> yep. No, I, and that's one thing people don't get. I mean, I tell people all the time that, like, I own a, a, a large gym. You know, I got a 60,000-square-foot building with equipment and batting cages, this and that. The hardest thing for me to schedule in now is time to lift. <laughs> yeah, I own the freaking thing, and the hardest time for me to get is my own lifting time. Yeah, ironic. Uh, yeah, and it's like, so if you're coming into it to lift, yeah, you're you're in it for the wrong reason. I mean, ninety nine percent of my time is helping other people and things like that, and then I have to squeeze in my own time. 
Um, and I've seen sure. area here. Seven, eight gyms open up, and I've seen six or seven of those so far shut down. You know that are like mine, and uh, I don't know. I think it, it. You have to have, like you said, you have to have that drive and passion to to actually help people and go above and beyond. Um, it takes a lot more than just writing something on a piece of paper and telling people to do it, or just having a building with nice equipment. I've seen that a bunch of times. People come in and they overbuy, and they think that the biggest mistake usually that shuts gyms down is they overextend themselves. They come in from the start and they think what is a successful gym is is what's inside of it as far as equipment. So they spend $50,000 on all this fancy shit, and they have nobody inside that building that tells people how to do it and has a passion to get people driven to do it. So, you know, Phil, for what it's worth, um, that's one of the reasons I ask you to talk to my seniors every year, you know, in the spring um, yeah. when we do the Skype thing and you just sort of lecture like that way. Um, because uh, over the, I think over the last five years, ten years, um, I'm encouraging students in exercise science to go be a business minor or something like that. They yeah. have passion for it. They, they may even know how to do assessments or, or programming, but they're doomed. <laughs> Frankly, they're going to go open up some $3,000 a month rent storefront instead of doing yeah. that sort of, you know, that, the lean startup like you, you sort of teach them, Phil. Like, you know, start realistic and small and expand as your resources become available, you know, and that kind yeah. of thing. And they have these delusions of grandeur. They, they can talk about glycolysis at the drop of a hat, but they have no idea how to do, balance their checkbook, you know. Yeah. And it's and it's a train wreck because they don't think about the expenses. They're focused on revenues and their cool equipment, you know. And then they're screwed. And you know. And Ryan, to your point earlier, um, I recently spoke to um, uh, a buddy of mine, and um, I think uh, a lot of us know him. Dr. Nelson does, but Steve Hertzler, he's the chief science officer for EAS. So of course, that's a huge dietary supplement company. And I said, what What do you want out of graduates? You know, we're going to start a, a graduate program. Uh, what do you want? And he said, you know, it's way easier. And he's not the only one that actually said this when I was checking with the industry here, but it's way easier to take an expert or a fan or an, a scientist and teach them how to write and speak or produce something than it is to bring someone who's a, just a writer or a producer and have them pretend that they understand the field, right? So he wanted people, and I think that's reinforcing kind of what you said. You've got to become that fan you got to become fascinated you have to understand the inner workings of what you're doing and it, it was just interesting to hear people in uh various aspects of corporate america and the fitness industry say yeah i, w I want an expert that then we can have them practice and train up to to present something you know in a chewable you know and interesting story kind of format uh instead of just getting one of these outsiders to do it and cross your fingers well, I think the other key point to take on was one, one that Ryan was talking about earlier. If you want to be a strength coach, a trainer, a gym owner, then you need to love it so much that you're willing to work in a meat market to make ends meet. Because you might have to. You know? Yeah. Your passion is being a coach, but, I mean, at the beginning, to make ends meet, you might be a bouncer. You might be delivering mail. You might be whatever. To, at the beginning, to make, to make it, to feed your, you and your family. You know? Yep. Um. And that shows the difference. I mean, there's there's a lot of people that just think, okay, I'll go in. This is going to be awesome. I'll be a success. No, you won't. You know? <laughs> so yeah, I um, think 
I think the millennials, and I don't want to point fingers too harshly, but uh, they have they've they've grown up with this. Hey, you're the chosen one kind of generation. You know, they they want to be instantly recognized, and like we were talking about before we were recording this morning, they don't see the fifteen or twenty years. You know, like I cleaned bathrooms in a gym for like ten years, and then I slowly mm-hmm. started training people, and then this, and then that, right? But uh, I, I think there's less maturity maybe or less tolerance for people to actually take the bullshit job to make ends meet and pay their dues for a long time and try to be patient and shut your mouth and observe you know and and work your way up instead of just thinking oh because i can publish a youtube video and potentially millions of people can see it i i want to start at the top right i mean watch watch famous actors you see an old movie from the 80s you're like oh my god that's robert downey jr you know, and he's in a bullshit little role, secondary yeah. role, and you could see that paying the dues kind of stuff. But people focus so much on the present, they don't think about the the, the tough years. But that's what gives you the knowledge base and, frankly, even the in our sports, the physical base yeah. to, to be worth listening to, I guess. Yeah. I think that's it, guys. I think it was a good show. Yeah, it's yeah. it's – isn't it funny the similarities when we have people come on that have paid their dues or they're an expert in the field? There's so much uh, similarity between a lot of the messages, you know? Yeah. yeah. And my only comment is if you look around, I've done this with my students. It's like look at people who've been in the industry for five, ten years or longer. All those people, I can't even really think of an exception. You know, put in the time, put in the effort, whether it's coaching or, you know, doing more of the research side or creating content or whatever. You know, they, you see some kind of flash in the pan. Some people come popular maybe for a year or two, but people have been at it for a long time. They're, you know, they're doing the work day in and day out, and there's not really many or hardly any exceptions to that. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Ryan, um, so before we let you go, what are you doing now, and how can people find out about you and what you do? Uh, so right now, uh, like I said, I, I work – for Mark Bell's Super Train Gym, uh, and I create a lot of their YouTube videos that come out. Uh, so right now, we drop a YouTube video uh, Monday through Friday. Um, so if you want to see some of the work that I've done, you can look uh, at the YouTube channel that we have. So it's um, youtube.com slash supertrain06. Um, if you want to follow like my personal Instagram account, um, the Instagram uh, slash uh, super squats. So that's just a play off my last name. So it's S-O-O-P-E-R, Squats. <clears throat> and, uh, yeah, that's where you can follow me. Cool. Hey, quickly, uh, housekeeping chores at the end here. Don't tune out yet, everybody. I shouldn't have said that. Um, please have patience. I know there's a lot of people responding to the funds drive. Uh, we do that once a year, right, uh, with Iron Radio, so we don't have to beg and nag all year round. Um, please have patience. We do have some gifts that are going to go out to people who are new monthly supporters or one-time you know significant donors just have some patience because we are just pointing out that we you know we have real jobs like we really do (laughs) what we talk about so i have to let the semester wind down so i can get to and send you some cool stuff so please be patient uh on that front uh just because i i just can't get to it this week (laughs) i'm being as honest as i can so uh, other than that yeah good stuff sweet thanks a lot
Hey listeners, have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store. One for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry. And they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store, uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, the stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org and um, let us know what you think on the forums and certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.